The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki Season 2. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. You are listening to Habs and Minded. Brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Hello and welcome to a very exciting episode. It's absent minded. It's Patrick Bexel with the two other guys from Eyes on the Prize. Uh, it's Anton Ross go down in Sweden. It is. Yeah, I'm here. And of course, it's Jared Book over in Montreal. And what a game last night. And, and we just heard it again. And I think I can listen to it. I don't know how many times I've heard it today, <laughs> but I think I can listen to it another thousand at least. Uh, Kotka Nemi, what a break. You know, it, it's, it's funny because it, it's, it's hard. You, you kind of get used to no fans in the building. And there's certain things during a game, especially a playoff game, where you notice fans. One of them is checks, right? Every every hit, there's like a loud the booing. There's there's certain things that uh, you you don't you can't replicate. And carry, carry, <laughs> carry. And, and 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 one of those things is just the roar of the crowd uh, when when an overtime winner or any goal, but but especially the overtime winner happens. And it, it it's funny because people are like, oh, it's. You know, it doesn't make a difference. It doesn't, uh, you know, it's only 2,500 fans. And it does make a difference. Like, Shea Weber, like, I've never seen him so, like, not emotional. Yeah, I guess emotional, but, like, not in the, in the like, tearing up sense. But I've never seen him so emotional about talking about the fans. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is a, a, just a great moment, right? Like, it's very cut Kanyemi scoring at 15-15 of overtime. Like, On the 15th shot in overtime? <laughs> Yeah, it's just uh, it, it's it's one of those things where it's it's either going to be one of the one of those moments that you go back to all the time, or if they lose Game Seven, it's going to be one of those moments where it kind of gets lost a little bit. But you know, can it really be lost though? We got like the young ones scoring yeah. first first Calfield. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it, it's not not lost, but you know, how many people think about PK Subban's? goal in the final minute to tie game seven in 2011. Like that's one of the, if you think about it just like that, it's one of the greatest goals in, in modern Canadian history, right? A, a tying goal in the last, you know, to tie up game seven and force overtime, but they lose the game and they lose the series and it kind of gets forgotten. And, you know, people remember the, the breakaway goal out of the penalty box, but they won that series, right? So there, there's so many, what, what this series has, and what I think is is something that we cannot take for granted is how many absolutely outstanding moments this series has had. 
right? Like, I'm just going to go off the top of my head, and I might even be forgetting some. The Byron goal, uh, the, the price save on, on Marner, uh, the the Suzuki overtime goal, uh, Kotkiniemi's goal. There's there's so uh, there, there's another price save in there. The, yeah, the, the, the price save, save on Spezza, yeah. right? Yeah, the, the, the price save on, on Spezza. So many great moments in this series. And, you know, it, it, it's kind of funny because after game four, there is nobody who would have expected this to go seven. Zero. Yeah, I just want to say that because I remember like in the middle of the week, you, Pat, wanted to record a podcast and none of us could <laughs> uh, could record one. And it was after game four and it was just absolute hell, basically. Like the Canadians were down three to one. We were just expecting everything to just, it, it was expected to be the last game of the year, Thursday night, right? So it was just like, it felt like, a long-awaited funeral for Dominic Ducharme, for Mark Bergevin, and for the whole team. Basically, blow it up. It just felt awful. Coming off a 5-1 loss, a 4-0 loss, and then what a change a couple of days can make, really. I mean, no matter how it ends, it's just like, this is actually going to Game 7, and now everything can happen. Yeah, you know, I said before the series started that we would see who these Canadians are. We would see what they are. And after game four, it wasn't looking good. <laughs> but with their backs against the wall, when, ha- when they had no other choice but to win, we saw who they were. And what they are is a flawed. There are flaws with this team. When you play two defenders a combined 12 minutes, there are issues. No team is built to win like that. But they're still a good team. And, and I think that they are showing that. And, and, you know, yes, they were dominated in the last, you know, 15 minutes of the game, uh, including the end of the third period and, and the start of overtime. But I don't know if you can call it an undeserved win because they were dominating for 45 minutes or 50 minutes, whatever you, you want to look at it. So they're, they're a good team. They, they, they found something. You know, because it's not just their backs against the wall. They completely changed their system. And maybe it was just that they played not to lose anymore. Maybe they're just like, screw it. <laughs> let's, just, let's just go. I mean, I mean Jared, we, we've talked about this in several podcasts. I and mean, you wrote an article about it a couple of months ago as well. The only thing consistent about this team is their inconsistency. <laughs> and that remains. That remains. I mean, it's just... It's basically hell one night and then it's heaven the other. You never know what you're gonna get. But as you say, it just feels like they are playing more freely now in the in the and especially last night, the beginning of the first period where it's just it just feels like the crowd is just urging them on and it's just something else. You just see that the fighting spirit is there in a whole other way that you've seen for for the whole season, basically. Yeah, we've just... seen it with crowds everywhere. I think I, yeah. Yeah. I watched the FA Cup final the other week, and I rarely watch football anymore. Uh, and and it was twenty thousand at Wembley, and it was it was like it was full. It felt like that because the passion was there, the nerves was there. You could you could feel it all, and and. You can try to replicate it with, with, you know, artificial way, but but they, there is a difference. Doesn't matter if it's two thousand or or if it's if it's twenty thousand. Obviously, it's going to be louder when it's twenty thousand, but you're still going to feel the nerves. You're going to feel people sitting on the edge of their seats. 
there is something that is transmit into the players and no matter what sport it is it's going to transmit anyway um the, let's let's start from 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 the beginning the power play worked twice <laughs> yeah yeah you know it was only a matter of time right like even if you're really bad on the power play your power play will still score you still you know like it, it's it's a matter of time like no penalty like yes you know over 10 games or whatever you might not score a goal but Eventually, you're going to score a goal. No, no power play goes zero percent, you know, for an extended period of time. Eventually, you score. You're the worst power plays in the league are what ten percent or so. Uh, so, it was only a matter of time. But it, oh, it was a fitting way for them to to score in that it was just a, a dirty goal, <laughs> you know, Corey Perry in front of the net, and and that's that's what they need to do more of and just get the puck on net and 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 you can see how they are kind of trying different things, you know, the, 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 the Foley goal also was a good example of that, but yeah, I mean, it was only a matter of time that the power play would start working and then they get the gift of a five on three, uh, both self-inflicted, right. The, the challenge that got them a one penalty and then Mitch Marner, man, I, yeah. I, I, I don't know, like the, 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 you know, every every game, every game, and especially in the playoffs, every game. But every year, you know, there's a scapegoat, and we see it in Montreal, right? I mean, <laughs> we we saw it in the first couple of games where you know you want to blame somebody, and you know it, it's often during the regular season. You know, there's always somebody to blame, and there's there's people who don't perform. Like Brendan Gallagher doesn't have a goal in this series. Philip Deneau doesn't have a goal in this series. Mitch Marner doesn't have a goal in this series, but Brendan Gallagher and Philip Deneau didn't give a team a five on three by just doing what Mitch Marner did. And, and I don't mean to laugh at Mitch Marner because it, it's, uh, it's just a brain cramp, right? It, it happens to athletes. It happens to us. It, it's just one of those things where just something gets to you. You hear footsteps or something and, and you just do something that you immediately regret. And, and every pop goes for glass penalty. Is something you, you see the players' faces, right? Lekkinen had one, Weber had one, and you, as soon as it happens, you see their face, and it's like, oh yeah, that was a bad mistake. And yeah, but but also you have to. Re- I think having I mean I only watched the last five minutes of the overtime live. Uh, I've, I've caught the rest uh, in in the morning. But uh, what I have to say is is really that um, that challenge is stupid because. Campbell is, is out of the crease. Yeah. 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 I, I think that the, the instinct is that he couldn't get back. And it was a Canadians player that pushed the least player into him. So he couldn't get back. I can see why you challenge it. And also if you win the challenge, it's zero, zero. Right, like, yeah, and and, it, and also they, they were saying like, I mean, obviously, what the uh, Toffoli was in the wrong place, but since yeah. Campbell didn't even try to get back into the goal, right. that was basically what what didn't. Th- there was no goaltender in fears because the goaltender wasn't trying to get back into the goal, and and also the, no Canadian player touched him, right? Like yeah. you, you can't like I understand like you know if you push somebody into the goalie like and and that's what happened, but it, it wasn't exactly like, like no Canadians player interfered with Campbell, right? Like you can say, oh, he couldn't get back in the net because Toffoli pushed the the least player, like uh, Hall, I think it was, close to Campbell. But I mean, he was already out of the crease. 
you know, was, you know, I, I think that it was a hard challenge to win. I understand why they did it. It was close, but I mean, Oh, so there yeah. is an opportunity, really. Yeah, I, I just think you know you never know, right? Like uh-huh. even people who thought for sure it was a goal were like, oh, I don't know, maybe it won't be. Like who knows? But I, I think that it's it's kind of a weird challenge because yes, if you win it, it goes zero zero. But I mean, you're the favorite. You know, you're down one nothing. Yes, you're playing Carey Price, but just take the one nothing and go. Right? Like I don't think it was. Uh, necessary for them to go back to a tie in, in that situation. But, you know, I don't know. It, it was tough. But, I mean, what made it worse is that Montreal scored on the next power play, right? You Because you have the Marner 5-on-3, which happens because they took the first penalty. So, yeah, I mean, it was just kind of – I think when you're already a little bit fragile, you you might have just been like, okay, what? You know, we gave up a goal. Let's just go and try and get it back. I, I don't know if you want to put your that much pressure on your penalty kill uh in in a game like that but that's just me yeah but and, and and then obviously we have to say that uh the two goals that um toronto scored was was deflection and and caught obviously carry price off guard none of the shots that actually was was taken at carry price past him yeah you know i, I don't i don't want to blame jeff petrie because you're 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 trained to get in front of shots like that's what that's what defending is now whether you're in Montreal or any other team but yeah it's just unfortunate because especially the Spezza one because he had no leverage like there's no way if Jeff Petrie just leaves Jason Spezza alone there's no way that he scores on that play right so it's it's unfortunate but at the same time you know yeah it's Carey Price has been so good that you kind of want to tell the D to be, and it, you can't actually tell them this because it's all human nature, but like, just get out of the way and let him see it. You know, he was having one of those games, but yeah, it's unfortunate for Jeff Petrie, but I'm luckily for him, the Canadians won because it, got- it would be bad if, if uh, I, I feel bad for what would have happened if they would have lost that game. Yeah, we still got to give credit to Petrie, though, because no Habs defenseman had any point in the first five games. And then he had two goals and one uh, one assist <laughs> last night. So he was really a man of the match for them, both teams there. Uh, no, as you said, it's just uh, it's just lucky that that Montreal ended up winning this. And, and let's face it, it didn't look like they were going to win it in overtime. Um, so it, was, it just really felt like the game five again, that the momentum had swung all the way back to Toronto and it was just, you know, you were just waiting for the death punch and somehow they just managed to ride it out. Yeah, you have to give props to, props to, to, to Steve Dangle. If you haven't watched his, uh, his video of, of the game yet, please do it because he, he says so many smart things in, in that regard. And, and he, what, what stood out to me was like, you have a goalkeeper. Every team that has played against Kerry Price knows this. Or, or, or when, whenever there is a new goalkeeper that faces Montreal and plays his first game in, in, in NHL, you see this. He has the game of his life. Montreal puts all the shots on him. And suddenly there's a breakaway and they take the lead and, 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 and the team loses the game. And, and in a way, that was what Campbell did in, in the first 45 minutes for, for Toronto last night. And then... As, as Steve Dangle also points out, you take on, you, you come back from 2-0 down, you draw the game, you go into overtime, and, and for the second time in a row you do this, and, and you go back in 
and you have the momentum and you carry it, carry it, carry it, the team should win. Yeah. But obviously, Montreal takes the puck and, and on a mistake, again, from, from a Toronto player, they score. And then, let's face it, it was a deflection as well. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And it's funny because that overtime period had shades of 2010 in it. And it also had shades of 93 in it. So um, it's... I, I was barely so, alive then, so I don't remember 93, but... There, there, there was this short guy scoring amazing goals. He hasn't really done that yet. Uh, but, but, you know, like, we got Cam- Cold Cowfield, Camilleri. Well, t- 2010, 2010 was, was uh, yeah, short guy scoring goals and great goaltending while getting yeah. outplayed. And, and 93 was 10 straight overtime wins. So wow. um, 93 is... is uh, yeah, the 10 straight overtime wins was crazy because they lost the first two, I believe, uh, or lost the first game in overtime that they played, but then they won 10 straight uh, after that. So, but yeah, I mean, you, I think that, you know, the, the lore of the 93 team is that Patrick White, every time that the team went to overtime is like, just get one because they're not going to get one on me. And I feel like this team has that mentality of Carey Price right now. Is that, you know what? Yeah, yes, they, it's like score more than two goals and, and I got this. Not, not mm-hmm. yeah that that and and not only that but there's yeah yeah they came back but they're not going to get another one so you guys score a goal and we'll win right so I, I feel like there's that that confidence that they have in in Carey Price that even if they play really badly like they did in the first five minutes of overtime for the for the most part or even you know fifteen minutes of overtime I guess uh, is is just what what happened and and they they end up getting a chance and. I mean, it was their second shot on goal in overtime in 15 minutes. Like, that's not usually a recipe of success. But yeah, like you said, Pat, everything pointed to a game that would just fall out of Montreal's hands. You know, you just figured that Toronto would get the first goal after Montreal couldn't capitalize on their scoring chances. You just figured that Toronto would get the overtime winner after they came back for the second straight game, which, by the way, NHL public relations said that this is the first time that a team faced elimination, gave up multiple goal deficits to f- get into overtime and then win in overtime both times. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like you mentioned that Steve Dangle video, uh, the Leafs keep finding ways to lose, which uh, I, like I said, my dad's a Leafs fan. He turned off the game when it was two, nothing. He was in my house for the, not in my house, but in my backyard. Uh, we put a TV outside because you're allowed to have people over now. So for the first two periods and uh, I, I, I wrote to him after the overtime winner, I'm like, I, I just said, sorry, <laughs> because Leafs fans have been through some stuff. And uh, as much I, as like Cubs fans or, or Red Sox fans has before, you know, like deal with it. And let's face it. It's not like, you know, Browns fans. Yeah. Browns fans. <laughs> If you weren't born in 93, you can't yeah. like claim the Browns futility. No, no, I definitely can't. I became a Browns fan in 2018. So like <laughs> football is still a new sport to me. But now I was going to say just that, uh, I mean, Travis Dermott had the uh, the turnover uh, on the Kotkaniemi goal. And he obviously drew in for Rasmus Sandin, who had two horrible turnovers in the last game, right? So they take in someone else instead of the youngster Sandin. And he... It's the one who actually, yeah, well, kind of gives the game away there in overtime. It just, as you say, the Leafs can't catch a break. This is the fourth time in the last five years that they're 3-1 up in a series in the first first series of the playoffs. And they 
get to 3-3 and game seven. And they've lost the three the three before. And I, yeah, I wouldn't want to be in Sheldon Keefe's shoes right now. Manchester does to be careful, though. I mean, Toronto in, in one game can can turn it on. So, I mean, the, the series is not won by any stretch. But I think that getting to seven shows what Montreal has. Like, yes, they have issues they need to fix. I'm not saying that this team is is a contender necessarily. Uh, but, I mean, it's hard to... It's it's hard to completely blow up the roster seeing what we've seen in the last two games. I don't think it needs to be blown up. I think it needs tweaks. But as we've seen with the young players especially, the future is, is bright. <laughs> you know, it, it, there, there's, a, there's a foundation here to, to build on. And, you know, who knows what's going to happen in game seven. But, you know, only one of these teams has recent history of winning a series. And it's not Toronto. Yeah, and you get you have to wonder a little bit with uh, Ducharme and Keith. Um, like, when are they going back to when rookie defenders make mistake or, or or lower ranked defenders make mistakes? Uh, they go back to the veterans, and it doesn't seem to be all that good, really. Well, yeah, I mean, there's there's a good analogy there where Keith takes out Sandine, puts in Dermot. You know, how would Canadians fans feel if Eric Gustafsson gave the puck away and the other team scored in overtime, right? Like, you're worried about Alexander Romanov, you know, giving the puck away, right? That's the fear uh, of playing a young defender. And if a guy like Dermot or a guy like Gustafsson does it anyway, why not just play the rookie, <laughs> right? Like, it's, it, you know, yes, there's reasons why Gustafsson is in, you know, and, and I'm not saying that, but at the same time, that, you know, it, not only rookies make mistakes like that. Alex Alchenyuk is not a rookie. Shout out to, to that article by Nathan Lee uh, about yes. the, uh, the Galchenyuk mistake or, or um, Kotkanema Suzuki playoff run. But, but, but that, because that was awesome and it was a great uh, analysis of, of the goal. Uh, read it if you haven't. But yeah, it's, it's why not play the, the youngsters? And especially Toronto is building for the future in, in a better way, in, in some way, than, than, than Montreal, and, and still doesn't want these youngsters to get playoff experience? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what's, what's going into it exactly. I, I don't, you know, if it was up to me, I would play Romanov. But yeah, it, it's, it's a little weird. But at the same time, you know, it, it's... It kind of worked, right? <laughs> Romanov is it's still his rookie season, and he's still there around the team, right? He has played uh, more, like he has played consistent minutes for the whole regular season, and that is more than you could actually ask from a rookie coming over from linked third pairing minutes in in Ceska Moscow. Like he has done well. Uh, we have to remember that, and he's still only 21 years old. So if he doesn't end up playing in the playoffs, he's still there for the foreseeable future, and it's going to be, you know. He, he's he's gonna get even better next season so it, it's just important to have these guys around and now they've had a bit of you know bad luck with jake evans injury and everything so the youngsters have come in um on offense right but on defense yeah merrill was injured but then yeah it was like you could have entered Rom- romanov there but on the other hand if you get gustafson you can at least add him to the power play which was struggling like i would probably have done the same thing as a coach yeah, I was more 
about why, why you didn't keep Sandine on. But but yeah, yeah. the Romanov yeah. analogy works as well, especially yeah. since we're a Montreal podcast. Yeah. Um, going forward, what, what can we expect from, from Game 7? Nerves? Can we, can we uh, expect Montreal to come out flying again? Or for me, as a Swede, are they allowed to have fans in... in, in they're in, not. Uh, they're not allowed to have fans. So there will not be fans uh, in, in Toronto. And what do we expect? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to expect. You know, because Game 5, you... Like, going into Game 5, I was like, if Montreal doesn't show up in this game, it's over, obviously. Like, but if they don't show something, there's no chance. They ended up showing something. Then in game six, you're like, okay, the fans are going to probably help. I didn't think that they would necessarily have the start that they did. That was like the best they played all season. That, that, first, te- that first 10 minutes was that first period. Maybe, maybe even was the best they've played all season, counting their, their start of the regular season. So I, I don't know what to expect, but I, I think Toronto is getting in their heads a little bit. I think that it's, you know, you saw them after the game and they're like, yeah, Montreal's been playing better and we haven't responded. I don't know if you can just flick a switch on like that. Whereas Montreal, you just have to do what you did the last two games. So it's a little bit easier. You know, yes, the, the team, we, we talked about this on the last podcast where the team that loses makes adjustments, right? Uh, but the, the, when you get this late in the series, all you have to do is do what you've been doing. You know, there's not many more adjustments that has to be made. The, the adjustments have been made. These teams have played six games in the playoffs. They played 10 games in the regular season. Like, th- there's no more adjustments. There's no, you know, th- they don't have to worry about, you know, there's no, oh, is this person going to play? Is this person going to play? Who? That doesn't matter anymore. All, all that has to, if Montreal plays the way they did, and if Toronto doesn't match their level, you know, anything can happen. It's hockey, right? As you know, as long as your goalie plays well, you have a chance. And Jack Campbell's been playing well, so I, I don't know what to expect necessarily. But I think that the the first ten minutes will tell us a lot about how the game is probably going to go, and whether it's going to be whether we're in for a long night or whether it's going to be a a, a one sided game. I mean, also just the injuries, like Jake Musson left the game last mm-hmm. night. Yeah. John Tavares is already gone. And I, I, I've been thinking myself as a, as a Malmo raced um, fan, like a soccer fan of, of the team from Malmo. I remember when we were um, in the Champions League uh, qualifying stage in 2014 and we were facing Red Bull Salzburg, uh, this, you know, conglomerate team that now... Um, the same owner, Red Bull, which owns Leipzig now as well in the Bundesliga. And everything was just... The the, the only thing uh, that was on Malmo's side, a smaller team from Sweden, was the fact that Salzburg hadn't gone to the Champions League during seven tries. The last seven years, they had won the Austrian Bundesliga, but they had never come into the Champions League. And I remember the coach talking about the fact that there was a little witch which is apparently a Norwegian expression. There was a little witch sitting on the um, uh, the uh, Salzburg arena and just like kind of spitting out bad luck for the Salzburg team, kind of like, you know, as, as a reference to the fact that they were also owned by this, you know, huge energy drink company and, and they were just doped up with money. And Salzburg just dominated the home game down in Salzburg and obviously it's played, you know, home and away. And they, but they only won two to one. And then they came to Malmo and Malmo beat them out and got into the Champions League. And I kind of feel the same about Toronto and Montreal here. Montreal is, are still the underdogs coming into game seven. 
they ended up in fourth place in uh, in the regular season in the in a weak North Division. It wasn't even sure that they were going to make the playoffs. They had all these injuries and just everything has gone wrong for the Montreal Canadiens this season. Toronto won the North Division. They were the clear favorite to be the best Canadian team going into the playoffs. Everyone was counting on Toronto riding this out. They had 3-1 up. They looked like they were going to all, for, for the first time in 70 years, actually advance to a second playoff series. And then the doubts come creeping in again. And no matter what you say about history, shouldn't you know, it shouldn't affect anything for the present, it's still difficult for a coach going into the team and just, well, don't repeat what you did last year and the year before and the year before. Because, like, when this happens over and over again, I mean, Austin Matthews still hasn't won a playoff series. And he's he scored 40 goals in the regular season. He has scored only one in 32 shots, I think, during this playoff series. All these things, they weigh on the players, of course. And, and Montreal, players like Brendan Gallagher, yeah, he still hasn't scored. But he fights. He is the heart and soul of this team. And he's there. And he gives every drop of energy. I mean, it's just, if Montreal doesn't win, I mean, it's just, it's still, you know, the favorite goes through to the next round. But Montreal still has everything to win in this game. And Toronto has everything to lose. Kotkaniemi, seven goals before he's turned 21 in the playoffs. That is a really good number when you compare it to, to different other players, uh, Shweshnikov, obviously, of his draft class is, is there with seven as well. He has eight now, but he turned 21 in, in March, uh, as Anton pointed out just before the, the, the podcast started. But, but obviously, McDavid had five, Matthews had five, Iserman five, Gretzky, Crosby, and Modano are the ones that are top. And if, if, if Kotzkanemi comes up to anything like that, I'd be very, very happy. You know, it's, it, it's funny because... There are certain players we hear it all the time, right? There, there are certain players that you know pick up their game in the playoffs. Yes, very cut Kenyemi has picked up his game in the playoffs, and it's it's not just this year, he did it last year also. Like there's just certain players who who play better when when the lights are are on. And uh Do you think he's learned from Carey Price? Probably maybe a little bit, yeah. yeah. I I I think this whole team is is kind of Nick Suzuki has, has been great as well. I mean, he picked it up a little bit earlier than, than Kakanyemi. His, his end of the regular season was great too. His whole regular season was great in Suzuki's case. But, you know, I just feel like Kakanyemi has that kind of skill set that, that lends itself well to the playoffs because he's not afraid to hit people and he's not afraid to go to dirty areas. Like, you look at most of his goals, they're scrambles in front like obviously you know the overtime goal was different right that was just a, a nice shot that deflected off but you know look at him a series against you know pittsburgh and philadelphia a lot of, you know even his first goal in the series uh, against in game three or game two game two sorry in game two just a scramble in front loose puck he gets it uh you know so there's there's certain things that you know he he does well and that's what lends itself well and, and anton you mentioned gallagher before Montreal beat Pittsburgh last year without any goals from Brendan Gallagher. And, and last year's team was not as deep as this year's team, right? No, no Anderson, no Toffoli. So it's, uh, it's definitely going to be a little bit interesting uh, to see what happens, but I mean, yeah. Is it a coincidence that, that Montreal has won the games where Jake Evans has played? No. Jake Evans has solidified himself as a very, very, very important player in this Canadians organization. 
I, and it took them, look, it, it took them three games to figure out how to replace him because games two, three, and four were very, were not good. They couldn't figure out what to do, right? They, they couldn't figure out what to do when, you know, when Dano couldn't be on the ice. They couldn't figure it out. And I think Evans is, is he's not the number two center because I think that's Suzuki and, and he's not necessarily higher up than, than Kakini. I mean, now he's not even playing center because he's on the wing on the top line, but I, I think that he brings something that's important to this team. He can kill penalties. He can win faceoffs at times. Uh, you know, he just gives you an extra person to use in those spots that maybe Thomas Tatar doesn't do. But I, I, I kind of, I'm just going to say quick, I, I kind of liked how they did as well with like placing Evans on the wing, but having him like kind of switch roles yeah. with, uh, with Dano. So you have like two centers who can just switch places whenever you need it. He, he's reliable. Right. Like Dominic Duchard said early in this in the series, he wants to know what his card is when what the value of the card is when he puts it on the table. With Jake Evans, you know what the value of the card is. So that's more valuable. You know, we talk about you know trust and things like that. If a coach doesn't trust his players, there there's no point in doing this. He trusts Jake Evans, and, and Jake Evans is a, is a coach's dream. You talk to Joel Bouchard, he'll he'll talk for for minutes about Jake Evans. Uh, maybe even hours if you don't stop him. But, you know, that's what Jake Evans does. He's a reliable player. And I think that having one more reliable player when you're facing a team like Toronto is an advantage. And I think that, yeah, I don't think it's a coincidence at all, Patrick. He's, he's been, his end of the season, the opportunity he got to play against Connor McDavid in those two games uh, has done wonders for not only Evans' confidence, but Dominic Ducharme's confidence in Evans. And I think that that's that's very important in a playoff series. We're gonna go to a break for for European hockey, and then we're gonna go back to you, Jared. Uh, to no one's surprise, really, that listens to the pod or reads eyes on the prize. Yoni Ikkinen will not be extended a contract this year. Uh, he confirmed that himself, um, and that's not really a surprise. It's a shame for Yoni Ikkinen. I, I I will continue to root for him. In, in whatever league he plays in, maybe not in the Swedish league if he comes over and play against Prolanda. But but on the other hand, uh, you have to give it up to to and, and respect his drive because it would have been very easy for him to to really just shut the career off and 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 go and do something else. And and we have to remember that that the prospects that are drafted, they are prospects. Not everyone will pan out. Jan Ekonen had had a good opportunity, had one of the better opportunities opportunities but on the other hand sometimes you get a jake evans later down the, the draft order and and not everyone can be that and and in this case just as with martin rewi in many ways uh, there were injuries uh, or, or illnesses that happened that that caused them to lose sight of their dream uh, i'm sure that that Ikonen will play professional hockey uh, for quite a few years to come uh but on the other hand, there is another hockey final in a couple of hours for you, Jared. Yeah, you know, Montreal, Toronto, <laughs> women's hockey, PWHPA, Dream Gap Tour, uh, Montreal and Toronto playing in the championship game. And this is the first real championship game for a lot of these players in, in over some of them, even two years. So, you know, it's it's going to be very interesting to see and it's on Sportsnet. Uh, if you're, I don't, the, the game will happen by the time people listen to this, but it, it will be on Sportsnet. Uh, it will be on YouTube afterwards as well. So if you're listening to this after it happens and you know, you, you see the result uh, and you want to watch it, it will be on YouTube as well. But yeah, you know, 
any excuse to watch Marie Philippe Poulain and the the great Montreal team, you know. How has the play been after having such an extended break from any it, other it, uh, the, the first, you know, it, it it's kind of eased into it, right? You, you see it after. Um, think about it as like the, the re return to play last year for for the playoffs, right? The the exhibition game was kind of rough. The first game, first couple periods was kind of rough, and then you kind of uh, get into it. The the last couple of games have been really good, and it's not only the fact that they they haven't played these women in in a year the, the the real thing they haven't even really got gotten on the ice montreal practices about five times a week which is they're, they're lucky they're the lucky ones the, the other team toronto and calgary they didn't have a full team practice until they got to calgary for this tournament so it's tough because people expect you know sarah nurse said it after the first game of the thing it people don't care that we haven't had time to practice they just want to see us play well And that's that's what women's athletes have to do. You you know, you know you're on Sportsnet, you're showing your 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 uh, your skill in front of you know the most amount of fans that you've had in about a year. They haven't been on television in a while. You they just it you know if they turn it on and they don't like the product, they might never turn it on again. So there's a lot of pressure on these women. And but the, the action has been great. The, the pace has has gotten better as the the week has gone on, as you would expect. And um, Yeah, it's uh, you know they're going into an Olympic year, you know, and you know. I was going to say this doesn't bode well for the other Olympic teams. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's tough. I mean, you know, they're gonna you know they're gonna centralize the U.S. team, the Canadian team, but I mean, you know, we're still asking whether the Summer Olympics are going to happen. So who knows what's going to happen with the Winter Olympics? It's you know it is still a question mark, but you know they have the World Championships coming up in August as well. That's going to be, this is kind of a precursor to that, but uh, yeah, it's, 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 you know, you know, me, I, I, I love women's hockey. Uh, it's great to see them playing again and it's a Montreal team in the final. And uh, you know, they've been the most successful Montreal hockey team over the last uh, 10, 15 years. And it's not really even close. So another chance. And, and it just happens to be Montreal, Toronto, Toronto is a great team. You know, so I mentioned Sarah nurse, they have, I think five of their, four of their six D are on Canada's uh, extended Olympic roster. So they're, they're a very solid team as well, but it's uh, it, it's good. And Sportsnet has a pregame show. They've been doing really great coverage of this and uh, it, it's great to see. It, it's, it's fun to see. And yeah, you know, if game six wasn't enough, you know, on Saturday, then you have this championship on Sunday leading into game seven on Monday, a lot of Montreal Toronto and who's going to complain about that. Right. Indeed. You've been listening to Have Some Minded with Anton Rosgård and Jared Book and myself, Patrick Bexel. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, enjoy uh, all the time you can and before the game. And please don't be too nervous or do something stupid during or after the game on Monday night. Um, leave comments, subscribe, everything in order for us to 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 reach you whenever we publish something new uh, obviously match rate will be there no matter the result for game seven uh, in his bottom six
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.